All right, good morning, Walk Church. Man, it is an honor to be here this morning. And so if you're a first-time guest, guess what? So am I, all the way from Pennsylvania. But uh, I want to tell, tell you a little bit about my story and kind of introduce myself to you a little bit. And then we're going to dive into God's Word because I am really, really excited to talk about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And I can't wait to get into it. So this is a picture of me and my family. I want to introduce them to you. This is my beautiful wife, Joy. And uh, our son Landon there. Now you see our son Landon in a hospital pod because he was born missing an entire chamber of his heart. And we found out halfway through the pregnancy that he was missing a whole chamber and he was going to need three open heart surgeries before kindergarten. And uh, this is a picture of him right after his first open heart surgery. Uh, In between his first and second, he ended up flatlining on us twice. So twice we thought that we had lost our son. But God is gracious and merciful, and he is faithful, and this is what he looks like today. Isn't that awesome? God has been so kind to us. Well, uh, years ago, uh, God gave us a vision to start a church called Restored Church, and we've been on a journey very similar to yours. Our church has been praying for you guys, and I met Pastor Hyden and Nina in Nashville years ago, and man, we are so excited, out, all the way out in Pennsylvania, of what God is doing here in Las Vegas. It is so cool to see what God has done with Walk Church. And uh, we're from the top right corner of Pennsylvania, the scranton Wilkesbury area. Any Office fans out there? Yeah? Okay. Oh, a lot of you. Okay. Yeah. Dwight Schrute and I are friends, and he calls me idiot all the time. It's nuts. So um, this is a picture of our original launch team. And uh, when you see this picture, typically what goes in the back of your head is probably something like this. How could a missions organization send four 12-year-olds to go start a church? Don't tell me that's what you weren't thinking. Well, we weren't 12. We were in our young 20s, didn't know a whole lot, but knew that we wanted people to experience this amazing personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So we went into a row house and just opened up that row house for an hour of a meal and an hour of a guided discussion through Paul's letter to the early church in Colossae. And this neighborhood that we moved into is very different than where I grew up. I grew up as a sheltered pastor's kid from the uh, suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, all right? So uh, I, I did not, I wasn't used to this environment. The neighborhood that we moved into uh, neighbors right through the walls included two Megan's Law sex offenders, a Wiccan witch, a heroin dealer, a young lady who was a prostitute, and there was also a frat party central for the college right across the way. So I wasn't used to that. And I woke up on a Friday night hearing bottles breaking and girls screaming, and I was like, God, what are you doing? Well, after a year and a half of this small group in a row house, we had our grand opening, and here's a picture of our grand opening in 2013. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We literally roped off the sides because we were only going to use the middle section and the whole thing filled up. We couldn't believe it. But what's even more crazy is we rented this cathedral for $150 a month. What can you get for $150 a month here in Vegas? Some pizza, (laughs) maybe? (laughs) So after some time there, we, uh, God started to change lives. God was doing some neat stuff, and we got some permanent property. And I want to tell you that this church building, the seven-bedroom house next to it in the parking lot, we were able to purchase for $100,000 combined. Isn't that nuts? And a family really believed in what we were doing, and they wrote a check for the whole thing. That is God's faithfulness right there, isn't it? Man. 
Man, and God's been so gracious. We just celebrated three more baptisms today. Young lady going forward, public with her faith, coming out of uh, a belief in astrology and just finding out that the gospel of Jesus is way better than astrology. Just amazing things. Lives being changed. You've seen a lot of that here at Walk Church too. Well, a couple of years ago, I gave uh, the leadership baton of our church over to my best friend, Tim, who started the church with me. He's been leading the church forward for a couple of years, doing an amazing job. And I'm freed up with our missions organization called ABWE. And uh, our North America branch is called Every Ethne. And we are dedicated to multiplying followers of Jesus all across North America. And I have a couple of my teammates here, Doug and Claire. They came out to be here with you as well. And uh, if you would like to pray for our team, uh, now I'm freed up to do a lot more of the coaching coaching, training, speaking kind of stuff. we got a lot of different team members who do a lot of amazing things to try to multiply followers of Jesus. If you'd like to pray for us, I would invite you, if you're a prayer warrior, meaning you go to God and you, you talk to God for other people, um, just go ahead and text every ethne, those words, every ethne, to 555-888, and you can get some regular updates on how you can pray. We would really appreciate that. Why don't we pray? Uh, speaking of prayer, why don't we talk to God before we dive into his word? Sound like a plan? Let's talk to God. God, I, I told you the same thing at 9.15. I'll say it again. You know that I can do this whole half hour in my own strength and power. You know that I can go through this next half hour and not rely on you. God, ultimately, we are here to hear from you. We are here to hear your voice. I pray that it would be loud and clear and that it would move us to action this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, anyone feel like we've got a bad case of information overload these days? Anyone? You feel like we've got a bad case of information overload? There was a study done in 2008 by um, the University of California, San Diego, and they did a study where they discovered that the average American consumes 34 gigabytes of data each day and 100,000 words per day. Now, if that was true 11 years ago, can you imagine what it is today? We've got a bad case of information overload. And with that information overload comes so many voices and so many lies. Isn't that true? So many voices and so many lies. Let me try one out for size. Maybe lies like this one. Lies that say that, I don't know, the Las Vegas Golden Knights are the number one powerhouse in the NHL, right? You know that's a lie, right? Because obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins are the number one powerhouse in the NHL. You know that. Yo, Hayden's going to have to get me back for this one because uh, my wife has been, ever since she grew, she grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania, she's been a lifelong Penguins fan, and uh, their AHL team actually plays a few minutes from my house, so I figured I just had to get a little dig in there. But to be honest with you, we're just jealous of you guys because you guys are awesome. But don't tell anyone in Pennsylvania I said that, all right? Don't tell anyone in Pennsylvania. But on a more serious note, we do have so many voices and so many lies when it comes to the Bible. Uh, notice these atheist children's Bibles. Have you ever seen atheist children's Bibles? You need to check them out. Here's why. They prove a point, and this is very important for all of us to understand. The narrative in our culture is rapidly changing from the Bible is irrelevant to the Bible is evil. Let me say that again. The narrative in our culture used to be the Bible is irrelevant. That is very quickly becoming the Bible is evil. And those are two completely different narratives. And as our culture is changing rapidly, we need to, uh, we need to 
understand and demonstrate that the Bible is actually good when we understand it and live it out properly as God intended. We need to demonstrate how relevant the Bible has always been. But with the rise of technology and social media, the amount of voices that are calling out to us are are exponentially increasing. We've got podcasts and news and sports and pop culture, and especially here in Vegas. Oh, my word, I've only spent two days here. And, man, the voices that are calling out to us from every direction. It's insane. And all these voices, here's what they're telling us. What we should and should not believe, who should or should not be our ultimate authority, and where we can find truth. And ironically enough, the church, the capital C church, is not immune from the exponential amount of voices that are speaking from so many different leaders in so many different streams of Christianity. And unfortunately, we typically spend more time listening to human leaders in the church rather than the author, sustainer, and sacrificial savior of the church. And that's a problem. But above all those voices that we normally listen to, there's one voice that we particularly listen to the most, and it is the voice of self. We listen to ourselves with careful attention because we live in a culture that constantly tells us the voice of self is where we will find fulfillment. Isn't that right? Ron Hutchcraft says, what we used to call selfishness, we now call fulfillment. Isn't that true? That's good stuff. I'm going to say that again. What we used to call selfishness, we now call fulfillment. And we buy the lie that we will find truth within ourselves. We buy the lie that we are self-sufficient, and so we try to be. But let me ask you, Walk Church, how's that going? How's that going? Are things getting better politically because we listen to the voice of media? Are things getting better in our families because we listen to self? Are things getting better in our churches because we found the one perfect human leader who's got it all figured out and is going to make it all work? No. Here's the truth. There is one voice that we need to hear, and it is the voice of God. We will. Don't worry. We will. So let's listen to God today. I don't know if you know this, but you really didn't come to hear from me. You came to hear from God. And anything that's valuable this morning really is only if God is speaking through me. And I hope he is. I hope that you are hearing God today. And that's why we're going to take a look at God's word, his written communication to us. We're going to talk about it specifically. So turn with me or turn on your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at God's word and actually learn more about God's word itself. So as you're turning there, let me frame up the conversation just briefly, and we'll get into it. The Barna Group is a really well-known research uh, survey firm, and um, they've studied America's most Bible-minded cities, okay? Now, our region, the Scranton-Wilkesbury metro area, is number 17 in our nation's top 100 least Bible-minded cities. We're in the top 20. Can you guess where Las Vegas is? Number six. Number six. What does this mean? It means we live in the middle of a culture that does not value Scripture, whether you live in scranton Wilkesbury or Las Vegas. Now, you might ask me today, and by the way, if you are here and you're not used to going to church or 
you haven't crossed that line of faith or maybe you're just kind of kicking the tires of Christianity. And I just want to say to you, if that's you here today, we are honored to have you here. We are. We are so glad you're here. And you might be asking, Dan, why, why should I believe that the Bible is valuable? Why should I prioritize the scripture? I'm so glad you asked. You ask really good questions here in Las Vegas. Look at, look at the text with me. Chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So the Apostle Paul starts off with the words, all scripture. What's he referring to when he says that? Well, at this time in history, he's most likely referring to the, uh, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, but he could also be referring to letters like James or Galatians that were written before 2 Timothy. Primarily, though, he's referring to the Old Testament that includes creation, the story of Israel, the sacrificial system, and the prophecies that all point to Jesus. Now, as we're, we're going to learn more this morning, he really is referring to everything that we hold in our hands today, and I want to give you a short brief summary of why this book, this collection of 66 books, is supernatural and divine, why it's unique, all right? Are you ready for this? Turn to your neighbor real quick, all right? Just indulge me. I'm from Pennsylvania, all right? So turn for your, and say, this is going to be fun. All right, try it, try it one more time. Turn to your neighbor and be like, this is going to be fun. Are you ready for this? The Bible was written over a time span of 1,500 years. Over 300 prophecies were given that Jesus fulfilled from 40 different authors, three different continents, three languages, and one message, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Now, here's another reason why it's not like any other book. All the other religious leaders who have launched religious texts down through history, guess what? They are still in their graves. Jesus is not. His tomb is empty. And everything that Paul says here about all scripture, it applies to what we have in our hands today. Now, you might look back at me again and be like, okay, how do we know that these 66 books that we have are actually what God wanted us to have? And that's a great question. Uh, there's a, I want to give you a snippet of a really good article on Bible.com that basically summarizes a process called canonicity. All right, turn to your neighbor real quick. Turn to your neighbor again and say, canonicity. And then say, this is going to be really fun. <laughs> All right, here's what canonicity is. It describes the standard that books had to meet to be recognized as scripture. And Christians gathered together at church councils in the first several centuries AD for the purpose of officially recognizing which books are inspired or breathed out by God. Now, these councils didn't determine which books were inspired. It's important that you know that. The councils didn't determine it. They simply recognized what God had already determined. So these books were already inspired, and the collection of 66 books was properly recognized by the early church as the complete authoritative scriptures not to be added to or subtracted from. And here are the metrics that they use. Here are the standards, the standard questions that they use to discover what was actually God's word. Is it authoritative? Is this book authoritative? Is it prophetic? Was it written by a spiritual leader of Israel or an apostle? Is it authentic, meaning consistent with the rest of scripture? Is it dynamic, meaning does it actually bring life-changing power in the lives of other people? 
And is it received, meaning accepted and used by believers? So, in short, I know that's a really broad overview, but the Bible that we have in our hands today, it includes different genres. It's got law and history and wisdom and poetry and prophecy and the gospels, the, the accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, and it also has a lot of letters. So in short, 2 Timothy 3.16 applies to what we have in our hands today, and we can have great confidence that God has preserved his word supernaturally. Now, Paul continues on. I don't want you to miss this small little word. He says, all scripture is. Don't miss this important little word. There has been no book in all of history that more people have tried to discredit and eradicate from the face of the earth, but it continues to be the best-selling book of all time. So let me tell you a story to illustrate that. I want to tell you about this dude. Any of you know who this dude is? This dude is a guy named Voltaire, and he was a French philosopher from the 1700s. And he had the hood spa, that's what I call it. Um, he had the audacity to claim, a hundred years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. Yeah, he said that in 1776. And then a couple years later, he also said this. It took 12 men to start Christianity, and one will destroy it. Yeah, incidentally, that was also the year that he died, okay? So what's the lesson? Don't say stuff like that, because it's going to be bad for your health. Now again, if you're here, and you have had some bad church experiences, or maybe you're coming in, and you've had some bad experiences when it comes to the scriptures, or maybe you've been wrestling with God, we are honored to have you here but I love you and I care about you and I want to warn you through this man's story. Notice this. This is, this is fascinating. A few years later, a Bible society bought his home. This is all true. And they printed thousands of Bibles that went all over the world. Come on. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? All scripture is. It was true in Paul's day, it is true today, and it will always be true forever because God's word is eternal, it will never fade away. Don't we already have so many things in our life that will fade away, and even life itself on this earth, right? We've got so many of those things. God's word is not in that category. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And the Bible is just as relevant today as it was back in Timothy's today. And so why is all this important? Because in an American culture that's rapidly moving from post-Christian to anti-Christian, and that's really where it's heading, we need to understand that we don't make the Bible good or relevant. We simply demonstrate how good and relevant it's always been for thousands of years. Now, Paul goes on to say, all scripture is breathed out by God. And that breathed out, that's actually a mashup of two Greek words, and it comes out theopneustos. It's the only time in scripture where this happens. It means that scripture is actually God's communication to us. It's not just a bunch of man-made ideas or another phony religious system. And the apostle Peter wrote this in 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, last semester, I, I started this amazing opportunity to be able to teach at Clark Summit University, and I'm a, an adjunct professor at a theology class, and I get to hang out with a lot of students, and we get to talk about theology, the study of God, and 
I make them memorize. I know I'm such a cruel, cruel teacher. I am. I make them memorize a paragraph that they have to remember for their final. And, And here's what I make them memorize. In response to the question, why should I trust the Bible? You know, if I were to ask you, why do you trust the Bible? I mean, maybe you're here and you don't, but if you do trust the Bible and I asked you why, what would your response be? I believe this is one of the best responses that, that I've found, um, and I want to share it with you. I believe that the Bible is trustworthy because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They record supernatural events in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine rather than human in origin. And uh, I've, I've shared this PowerPoint with the team, by the way. If you would like access to the PowerPoint or the notes or any of this, please feel free, email them, get in contact with them. I'd love for you to have these slides. So with all of that, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable. Now when Paul says all scripture is profitable, that was a countercultural statement and it definitely is a countercultural statement today just like it was back in the day, especially in the face of self sufficiency, naturalism, relativism, pluralism, and, and Las Vegas, hedonism, right? Hedonism is the putting pleasure in the driver's seat, putting pleasure as the ultimate priority. So in the face of all that, you might be asking, how can the Bible be profitable in my life? Pastor Brian Loritz says, the quality of our lives is seen in direct proportion to our willingness to submit to this book. Look, you might look back at me and be like, Dan, I haven't experienced the profitability of Scripture before. And I just want to say, maybe that's because you've engaged the Bible intellectually, but without humility. Here's the truth. You are never going to experience the life-transforming power of this book unless you approach it with humility. It's not going to happen. G.K. Chesterton said the Christian ideal has not, been found, uh, has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And isn't that true? Is it difficult to approach the Bible with humility? Yes, I experienced that. As a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, I know that it's not easy in my own life. But you know what? It's entirely worth it engaging in that process to try to submit to the Bible rather than try to uh, judge the Bible and be judge and jury of it, it is entirely worth it because Jesus is worth it. And he said that it's all about him. So what is so profitable about scripture? I'm glad you asked. You guys ask the best questions here. You really do. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for four things, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Now, to, to go over this and to get it to stick with you, uh, we're going to have some fun here. So I'm going to call my friend Luis up. Uh, let's give it up for Luis, your awesome drummer here at Walk. Luis, you coming up, brother? Awesome. Awesome. So uh, here's, I'll preface this by saying I am not going to rap for you, but I am going to do some crazy, awkward, super neon white boy moves to try to help you to get this stick, all right? So, so Luis is going to do a little beat. I'm going to do some motions, and we'll have some fun, all right? Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, what's going to happen? Just say, all right. Hit it, Luis. A little faster. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Yeah, teaching, 
Reproof, correction, and training. Come on. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Yeah, there we go. Let's give it up for Luis. All right, now you're all going to do it. I'm not the only one that's going to do it. Stand up. Don't look at me like that. Stand up. We're all going to do it. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Wow. You guys, like, did not think I was serious. No, we're actually going to all do this together. <laughs> Luis, hit it. Hit it, brother. Come on. There you go. You won't forget it. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Yeah, teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Come on. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. There we go. All right. Have a seat. Have a seat. You guys were scared that that was going to go on for like 10 more times, weren't you? All right, so what is teaching, you might ask. Teaching, do the motions with me, all right? Get your fingers up. Everyone, fingers up. Teaching is what to know, okay? Next, reproof, do it with me, is what to stop. Then correction is where to go, and training is how to get there. So let's do a little exercise, all right? Uh, let's take the category of communication. How many of you would say that communication is an important aspect of our lives? Anyone? Yeah. All right, we can all agree that, especially the married couples in the room. Like, we know. It's very important. So, let's try it out for size. Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That is what we need to know. Do the motions with me. It's what we need to know. We cannot underestimate the importance of communication. Next, James 3:10, the brother of Jesus reproves us, and he says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Do the motion with me. This should not be. It's what we need to stop. In Ephesians 4.29, then Paul corrects us. Do the correct motion. There we go. He corrects us, tells us where to go. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And then in Colossians 4, 5 through 6, we finally get some training. All right. Most of you have much bigger muscles than me. So show me, you know, there you go. Okay, good. Walk in wisdom, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you ought to answer each person. That's how we get there. Isn't that awesome? This is how God's work, word works in our lives, and we've got we've to submit to that. We've got to let it do that work in our lives. I'm telling you, if you are here and you are listening and you aren't listening to God through regular, consistent Bible engagement, if that's not a priority in your life, you've got to know you are missing out, not just in this life, but there's also eternal ramifications for not putting your faith in Jesus, for ignoring the voice of God. There's heaven for those who do put their faith in Jesus, and there's hell, eternal separation from God for those who reject Jesus because they're not listening to the voice of God. And for most of us in the room, hopefully, most of us have already crossed that line of faith. And uh, if, if, you're, if you've crossed the line of faith and you've been following Jesus for a while, you probably have experienced this, where disengaging from God's word can become habitual. It can be something that's normal in our lives. And, and when we do that, followers of Jesus, when we disengage from the Bible on a consistent basis, here's the problem. We're not hearing the one voice that we all desperately need to hear the most, which is the voice of God. 
I love my friend, what my friend Paige posted here. I, I've got it screenshotted here for you. My friend Paige, uh, she, God rescued her from drug addiction. Uh, she got baptized a couple years ago, and she's been clean for a whole year now. Isn't that awesome? Man, and, and she has been diving into God's word, and here's what she posted. A quote, the Bible isn't merely an inanimate object that we study and pull information from. It has a life of its own. It acts. It reads us and it pierces to the deepest parts of our being and discerns our motivations. We need God's word. You need it and I need it. So I want to circle back around and, and see more of the broader context of this passage. Go back up to verse 14 with me. And before verse 14, Paul spends a lot of time warning Timothy about the dangers of false teachers. Boy, we still have a lot of that problem today, don't we? He, he warns him how things are going to progressively get worse before Jesus comes back, and he reminds him about the serious persecutions that he endured for the faith. Now, in the light of these tough realities, here's what Paul says. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and what you firmly believed. So here's what he's talking about, our minds and our hearts. Listen, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, you may know everything there is to know about this. Not really, but you may know a lot about this book. You may know a lot of information that's contained in the Bible, but if it doesn't lead to transformation, if it doesn't lead to obedient action, it is worthless in our lives. If it doesn't move us, it is worthless in our lives. Paul is telling Timothy that it's not just enough to learn a lot of facts. We have to have faith because the ultimate purpose of the Bible is to build more trust, more faith in God through its communication. Now, again, you might look back at me and you go, Dan, just an increase in communication does not necessarily mean that there's gonna be an increase in trust. Because there's a lot of relationships I got where we talk a lot, but the trust level is really, really low. And you would be right. But here's the difference. Our human communication is tainted with mixed motives and evil intent. God's communication isn't like that. Isn't that awesome? I'm thankful that God's communication is different. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says every word of God is flawless. And if the Bible is God communicating to us, and it is, we need to both learn it and believe it in order to grow in our relationship with him. And then next in the passage here, Paul reminds Timothy about some really personal stuff that's really important for us to, to focus on. Knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been equated with the sacred writings. Now, who is Paul highlighting here? Uh, Paul is referencing Timothy's childhood. and He's actually referencing Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mom, Eunice. And he actually mentions them back in chapter 1, verse 5. So what's Paul doing here? He's honoring women. In an ancient society that devalued women, you've got to know, Jesus was the first religious leader that showed up on the scene and honored women. Just look at John chapter 4 and the story of the woman at the well. Jesus valued women. Paul valued women. The Bible values women. And here we see Lois and Eunice honored. Please, I'm begging you, do not buy the lie that biblical Christianity is chauvinistic and repressive. Please do not buy that lie. Now, are there people who claim to be followers of Jesus who are chauvinistic and repressive? Yes. But just because you may have experienced someone like that, you may know someone who is like that, please do not let that turn you off from Jesus because Jesus is not like that. Now, I want to talk about motherhood for a minute. Ladies, 
If you're here today and you're not a mother or a grandmother, um, I just want you to know, I believe God wants you to be reminded that he loves you because you're you. He values you. You're of infinite worth to God. Why? Because you're made in his image and he loves you so much that he died for you. And, and motherhood can be a really difficult topic for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, maybe God has not allowed you to become a mother yet, or maybe you've had some other circumstances that when motherhood gets brought up, it's very painful, and, and, and there's a lot of reasons there. But, you know, the topic of motherhood can also be very painful for those in the room who are mothers. Why? Because we live in the middle of a, of a culture and a society that belittles and devalues mothering and the spiritual investment of mothers in the lives of kids. And you know what's sad? What's really sad is this, the church isn't even immune from this. The church is not immune from this. Um, years ago, I got an email from another Christian in our city, and, and the email is very antagonistic, and the question that was posed to me, again, like kind of coming at us, was, do you only let women take care of, of, of children in your church? Is that all you do? You just let women take care of children in your church? When I read that email, I gotta be honest with you, I was torqued, okay, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it wasn't true. The accusation wasn't true. Women serve in a lot of roles in our church, our leadership team, community group leadership, the tech team, worship team, hospitality team, cafe. They serve all over the place. But here's why I was really torqued. Do you know why? A question came in the back of my head. Since when was ministering and spiritually investing in children second-class ministry? Since when? Listen, if you serve here with walk kids or walk students, both men and women, you've got to know this. You are engaging in one of the most important callings and ministries that any believer could have ever. You are. And for all the ladies in the room who are mothers, you need to know this. I believe God wants you to hear this this morning. With every dirty diaper... And with every taxi cab service that you provide, with all those late nights and sleepless nights, and with each day that you're just spent and worn from the daily grind of feeding, correcting, entertaining, planning, uh, planning and raising your kids, guess what? God sees it. He will give you what you need to keep on going. Don't give up because it is entirely worth it. It is. And you know, I could spend five more sermons talking about dads, but we don't have the time for that, all right? So we're gonna keep moving on. We need to intentionally point our kids to Jesus every single day. Here's a tool that we've used to do this, and I hope that uh, it's helpful to you. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible, and if you're not familiar with it, it's an amazing resource. Uh, we've read it to our son Landon a lot. We do that consistently, and man, it's just awesome, an, an amazing resource that I would recommend to you. And why would we point our kids to scripture? Well, Paul finishes verse 15 with this claim. The sacred scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And wise for salvation, what does that mean? It means that through scripture, we can be born again. And terms like that kind of lose meaning. So I want to define them for you. Being born again or being saved these phrases simply mean that we recognize our complete inability to have a relationship with God in our own strength and power. And through faith in all that Jesus accomplished in his perfect life, death, and resurrection for us, 
if we turn from our rebellion, we give everything we are to Jesus, then we are spiritually born again. We get new spiritual life. We are saved from the just wrath of God because he took it all for us at the cross. That's what Jesus did. He stood in our place and he made a personal relationship with God possible through his sacrifice. And how can we know about this personal relationship with God? Because of scripture's sufficiency, because of its clarity, because of its authority, and because of its necessity. Now, this acrostic scan, I hope it's helpful for you. It's not original to me. It comes from Kevin DeYoung, really good author, and he's got a great book that I'm going to recommend to you here. But I hope that this will help us remember why and how the Bible can make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Now, at the end of the day, I understand you may not agree with these claims. Like, you may say, Dan, why is the Bible sufficient? Like, is it really, how can you claim that it's clear? Have you read the Bible? <laughs> you might be thinking that. Is it really authoritative, and how can you say that it's necessary? Again, those are great questions, and I want to encourage you to continue to ask great questions like that. We, that would be another five sermon series that we don't have time for, but I want to boil it all down to this. The Bible is sufficient. It is clear. It is authoritative, and it is necessary. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. The best friend of Jesus wrote this in John 1.14. The word, notice that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So wherever you're coming from this morning, maybe you're here, and like I said, you're just kicking the tires of Christianity. If that's you, um, we want to engage with you. We want to talk with you. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple resources here, and then we're going to have some reflection time, and I'd love to meet you. I'd love to talk with you and talk through some of those questions more. But for most of us in the room, we've probably crossed that line of faith. And if that's you, um, I don't know. If you're like me, there can be times and periods and seasons in our life where we disengage from Scripture. And we're missing out when we do that. So I want to give you some tools practically to kind of help us get back on track. First of all, two books. Um, first of all, uh, there's Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. Very helpful book that I want to recommend to you. And then uh, Truth in a Culture of Doubt. Truth in a Culture of Doubt is really, really helpful because it answers uh, this leading atheist in our nation named Bart Ehrman. If you've ever heard anything of Bart Ehrman, uh, this book is a response to him, and it's very, very helpful. Uh, GotQuestions.org is another website I would highly recommend. They have answered over half a million questions about faith, about the Bible. It's an app. would highly recommend that to you. Fighter Verses is uh, an app from John Piper's ministry, and they, Desiring God, and they, it's an amazing app where they basically have designed this, these creative ways that you can memorize scripture through this app. Uh, Read Scripture is another great app, and I believe uh, Francis Chan is involved in the leadership of this app. And then my favorite one is the YouVersion app. The YouVersion app is a free app, and literally, they have had over a billion downloads now. Isn't that awesome? God's word is going out, and it is powerful, and I'm really excited about that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a quote and a question. And after I give you this question, we're going to have a reflective time for you to answer that. And, and in this question, uh, you can write down your response on your connection card. You can write it in your smartphone. Um, and you could just think about it and pray over it when we have this time. But I want to give you a quote and a question as we close. What you think about is what you'll care about. And what you care about is what you will chase. Let me ask you, what are you chasing this morning? What are you chasing? 
You chasing money? I got news for you. Money never, ever will die for you. It won't. You chasing sexual pleasure? Well, guess what? Sex will never die for you. You chasing your career? Career is never going to die for you. There's only one person who's died for you. His name is Jesus. And he's real. And he's alive. And he loves you. And he wants to give you a very real relationship with his heavenly father. What you think about is what you'll care about. What you care about is what you will chase. So here's the question that I wanna to pose to you and give you some time to consider. There's gonna be some teammates down front and we'd love to pray with you and talk with you. You can feel free to write down the answer to this question on your connection card. Studies have shown if you write it down, you're more likely to, to follow through with it. How will I prioritize God's word this week? Let me give you some